know us sports moms have something to say. Yes, we do. We'll have a chance to interview across the board from athletes to the parents to the coaches to even the trainers. Yeah. And we're not afraid to share our journey. We're not afraid to tell other moms what we went through in order to raise up a student athlete. So I believe that it's inspirational. Yeah. We're able to tell our story, the good and the bad. We can give back positive information. Absolutely. You know, we can empower them. Yeah. I think it's time for the mothers to be a voice. Yeah. Yes. It's time for us to, to let you know what's going on. what's up it's karen i'm your host tonight i am solo alone tonight but we are moving forth tonight to bring you some great information i have i got i'm doing the technical i'm doing it all tonight so excuse me we get some bloopers in there but it's all right we're moving forward so tonight i'm by myself my host they all had something else. My other moms had something else to do, but I am excited to bring on our guest tonight, Mr. David Schuma. He is the founder of uh, the Underclassmen Combine, the National Underclassmen Combine. So you guys help me to show Mr. David. And if I got the name wrong, he he'll help me though. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, David Schumann, uh, NUC Sports, uh, used to be known as the National Underclassmen Combines. Uh, um, that was the original full name of everything. We kind of shortened it up to NUC Sports. Uh, I'm really glad to be on with you. Well, we, um, I think we may have lost uh, our host here, so, uh, you know, I'll give a little background. Uh, you know, Dave Schumann, NUC Sports, um, founder and CEO. And uh, we originally started the events way back in 2005, um, focusing on trying to figure out a way to help athletes uh, get more recruiting exposure. And, and back then, it was a completely different time. That's almost 15 years. Actually, it's more than 15 years ago. Um, and we really focused on uh, – testing the athletes, evaluate them on their skills, and then providing that information to, to college coaches. Um, really started before you had, I mean, we had Facebook, and I think Twitter came shortly after. Um, but back then, people were just sending out DVDs to college coaches, and this kind of gave athletes some really quick information fast. Um, and we really accelerated our growth to run an events all over the country, uh, to really try and provide athletes the exposure that they need. So, um, welcome back. <laughs> I took over hosting duties briefly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, my God. I appreciate it. Oh, my God. See, that's awesome. You were able to just jump right in. I told you this internet has just been going crazy. It has been going crazy. So, go ahead and tell me. Go ahead and do your spiel. Yeah, so I, I was I was saying we started in two thousand five. Uh, you know, this obviously that's fifteen. This will be our sixteenth year uh, uh, doing it. And you know, when we originally started the event, it was really designed to give underclassmen, which is the, the by the name National Underclassmen um, Combine, to give them the opportunity to showcase themselves. Back then, athletes got offered. Most of them got offered at the beginning of their senior year. So. Um, uh, the athletes from our camp, we were really the first camp to run it for underclassmen. 
And uh, um, I remember I pitched it in 2000, a couple of years after being into, I pitched it to Nike. I said, Hey, why don't you run some events for underclassmen? And they kind of laughed at me, but obviously now everybody runs events uh, for younger athletes, uh, but we were the first to do it. And um, it was pretty cool because that first event, which had, uh, I think, 140 athletes at it in New Jersey, um, I think 21 of those kids went on to Division One schools. Um, and some famous guys that you might know, uh, Tyrod Taylor, who played for the Baltimore Ravens, Buffalo Bills. He's somewhere else now, I believe, maybe in Indianapolis now. Um, and then uh, Joe Hayden, who uh, – uh, played for the Browns and, you know, has been all pro. And so th those are the two most famous guys from, from those, uh, that, that very first event and kind of was a launching pad and a lot has changed in recruiting over the years, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, back then people were sending DVDs to college coaches. So yeah. that's how it was done. Um, quickly moved to the internet. Um, I've also been a high school coach for a long time. I've been a high school coach since 2002, uh, been a head coach for uh, at, at four different places. I'm at the, the fourth place now, Red Bank Regional. Um, but I've been around during all those uh, iterations from when it went from literally VHS video to now where everything's through huddle. Um, but there was a time period where it was, you know, from like 2007 to like 2012, where it was YouTube was a big deal for, yeah. for that. Um, now it's kind of a secondary thing because Huddle's so big, uh, but but I've seen how that kind of all worked and and the iterations of that process um, and our events have really evolved as well. You know, at first we really just ran events. That's what we did. We ran combines, and a combine is where you test them, like you would see in the NFL. Now the NFL combines televised, so a lot of people have familiarity with what a combine is. Um, the 40-yard dash, the vertical jump, the broad jump. That's the main portion of it. But what we do is a lot of skills and one-on-ones and agility stuff as well um, to get a kind of a full evaluation of them. But it really has evolved. Like now it's become, you know, we do a, a ton of stuff online. Um, uh, we, we do a ton of things where we put out all kinds of content uh, to help the athletes along and, and you know, I would say like 98% of that is free. So we're putting out all kinds of free content to help them. Um, whereas in the old days, basically it was we ran the event and the content came from the event. Now the content really comes before that. And the event is then kind of an information um, push out to the schools because they have their own process and that process yeah. has evolved tremendously. Yeah. Now, let me. Uh, there was something that you said about, you know, when you started, it, you're the underclassman, and now it's evolved. And it really has evolved because right now it's a push for like seventh and eighth graders. You know, they are becoming MVP and they're wearing championship rings, and the colleges are going even younger to go after the kids now. So, I. You know, I'm just thinking about what your mindset was when you were, you know, had that thought and that that baby of thinking about that and, and having to uh, move in your idea. And what if you had, you know, what if you did move in it, you know, but you did, you nursed it, you know, and I'm just thinking about what pushed you, what drove you to continue in your vision of going after the underclassmen being exposed and, you know. Yeah. My original vision was, um, I had, so I, I was the head, I had just taken over a program was a very small high school. Um, it was the high school I went to and I had taken over as head coach and I had, uh, some really talented younger players. Um, and one of them, his name is uh, Steve Baharness. He ended up playing in the NFL. Um, he he just recently was playing in um, the XFL. Played in you know which now now is I guess went on there, but um, but he 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 was coming up into high school, and I and and where we are in New Jersey, it's not as big in Texas, but a lot of the private schools are real big and grab players, and um, whereas in Texas the public schools 
really are the kings and in the football programs uh, because of the large ISDs. But in New Jersey, it's it's it, it's was a little different, and especially in North Jersey, where I was originally from. So uh, you know, and everybody wanted him to come play for them, and um, so I I created this program kind of with the, him in mind. Uh, wasn't all, and he attended it and did really well and it helped him get exposure and he he ended up getting offers as a sophomore. Uh, he ended up playing at Rutgers and you know was seventh round draft pick in the NFL and um, but that was the original intent was how could I um, create something that can can help athletes who may not go to the best program or the biggest program. That was the original intent. And how could I get those athletes exposure a little bit earlier? Um, and that with those, that, that in mind, that's where the event came from. And then it really, really grew and took off. Um, and we realized all these different other opportunities to be able to um, get exposures for kids from big schools, small schools, older kids, younger kids. Um, but really the sweet spot was really the freshmen and sophomores at the time. And that, that was the group we really focused on. We actually for a long time, wouldn't let eighth graders into the event unless, uh, the, the kid was fully mature physically. And, um, and the parent really had a lobby for it, you know, and show us, you know, kind of his size, they would have to send us like, you know, a picture of what, you know, how big he was. So we knew that he, he could handle it. Um, but that obviously has changed a lot since then. I still think from a recruiting standpoint, the sweet spot is really the sophomore year going into junior year where you could really, if you are good enough that you end up starting fairly early, a lot of good things can happen for you. But the way that college is, has now come is, you know, that junior year guys are getting you, you want to be ready for that junior year that you if you're just starting for the first time as a junior, especially at a big school like DeSoto, um, a lot of guys won't start maybe to their junior year. By going to the events, you could kind of build your name long before that. And then when you are starting, you could kind of hit the ground running and and, and it, your film starts to match with what you've done at events. Right. And, and, you know, that's so true because, you know, at DeSoto, our um, team, you know, we're 300 strong as far as all the different uh, age group, the different teams. And so it, it's really like you got to wait your turn unless you are just top of the top, you know. And so uh, for my son, you know, I didn't even I didn't even know about recruiting as a mom. I didn't even know. I mean, it wasn't even in my language as far as recruiting or possibility of getting a scholarship. You know, my son, my husband was a coach and my son played football all along, but it wasn't even in my thought pattern until about the 10th grade, you know, hey, you can get a scholarship to go play football. Okay, how did you do that? And so that's when I started to research about that it's up to the parent to help their sons get recruited. And so that's when I started looking for camps and combines and you know, uh, where he could go and get better. And that's how I found you uh, and my son attended your um, your combine. Now, tell me, what's the difference between a camp and a combine? You know, help me with that one. You know, now we, we kind of, our combine is kind of almost a camp now. It, it's kind of <laughs> evolved. But originally, the combine is really focused on testing. So, you know, when you hear a combine, you know that you're going to be tested probably on the 40-yard dash, some version of the vertical jump, broad jump, uh, maybe the shuttle run, maybe the three cone. But you're going to get some sort of timing and testing um, to really uh, e evaluate, you know, how fast you are, how high you can jump, those kind of things. Whereas a camp has many different forms. A camp has a lot more football components to it where you're doing drills. You might be doing agility drills, positional drills. Um, you might be doing some seven on seven stuff, some one-on-ones, um, and it, and it could be highly instructional based. It could be competition based. So camp kind of has a little bit more involved. Um, originally we were, were combine and really testing was the main part. We, we didn't do a ton of agility drills. Um, this is going back to like 2005, 2006. We probably did about a half hour of it. Now it's probably 
more on the camp side of it, even though we do the testing, we do a lot more on the the drills and stuff because the kids want to do that and and who doesn't? That's the fun part. So we really evolved that and um but yeah, it's a combination of competition and instruction. And um, you know, so when you see like college camps like uh by you know TCU has one or Texas, th- those camps might have some testing in it. Um, but uh the primary focus of it will be like the the drills and and the positional work and the agility stuff. Uh, to see where they are from a kind of a football skill standpoint. Yeah, and I know back then that um, you you had to be verified. Those, you know, how fast you want run and your uh, vertical and all that kind of stuff, you were uh, verified. And so when you go to these different camps, is one of your uh, combine, is that one that can verify that you actually um, – ran those route and I think like when you get when you get listed like on the on the ESPN top 100 right. top 300 you know it'll have their weight and their drills and stuff and it'll say verified like right. somebody officially verified them right so we're we're a separate entity from those those guys so um where we'll have them at our events but um we for years we had partnerships with them, uh, but both parties kind of went away from that because it's so easy to get information out with the internet. So mm-hmm. they can grab your information really quickly, and you know, with an email, find out, hey, did this kid run this at your camp? Yes, pretty simple. Um, in the beginning, it wasn't like that, so uh, it was hard, much harder to verify what somebody did do and. and the trusted sources that are out there um, were limited. Now, they're still limited now. Um, so, like, we're in, uh, we're partners with the NCAA. We're one of their uh, NCAA certified recruiting services. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, there's a now. There's so much. There's so many events, and and it's very confusing for parents now. Um, like I said, when we when we first started, it was us Nike events, maybe Under Armour had something, right. um, you know, a few a handful of companies maybe. Right. It, you know, when when your son went, there was probably still only about a handful of companies doing it on a na- national basis. Now, people running events for fourth graders, eight, yeah, it's it's all over, you know, and right. um, that part has changed radically. And it's also uh, confusing for parents because of that. So, you know, I, I try to tell parents not to get – I used to really get so focused on the recruiting end of it. And now I'm kind of more – because the way it is, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to take – let's say you come to our event and the parent films it at the event and posts it on Twitter. Like, it happens like that now. Um, whereas before, like you would have to call us up, Hey, can I get a copy of the video? Like, you don't have to worry about you basically the parents video with their phone. They put it out there. Um, so you don't have to go through a, a whole convoluted process. So I said, you know, I try to tell them focus on uh, competing and learning when you're there because, um, really you could go video and have it and tell the coach he ran it at this event and the coach can easily verify that by reaching out to that program if they wanted to. So that part's changed. So they can really focus on the competing. I always say, Hey, listen, if you want a video from the stands or get close to the fence and video, you know, you can certainly do that because um, that's a, a quick and dirty way to get your information out there right away. And, it's no different than what anybody else is sending out there because the phone is so good at being able to put information. Um, and you don't need to have a big handheld camera to do it. You know, you could find out what your son ran. You could video, you videoed his 40 from the stands with an iPad or, you know, uh, and, and you know, you put that, you cut it up real quick on your phone and you put it on Twitter, send it out to coaches and they could, they could recognize you real quick. So, Those are efficient ways to do things that years ago, you know, even though we had the internet, people didn't have the the iPhone couldn't do all the things it could do now. Um, the the capability to edit a movie right on your phone wasn't there. It is now, 
right. could do that really quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, you could literally, if you wanted to, stream your own you stream your own combine right from the stands. For, for, right. for, I mean, you could, right. you, you know. So uh, those capabilities are there. So the key part of these events is to go out and compete and be ready to compete because there are a lot of talented kids there, and 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 for you to stand out, you really want to be able to be ready and and mentally ready and and physically ready to compete. So is that the message for the parents as the purpose of your uh, combine is just getting the kids more practice in competing, especially if they are uh, sitting on the bench and not necessarily getting that playing time? Absolutely. So, and, and I, there's exceptions with that. So you go run a great 40 and even though you haven't yet stepped on the field or, you know, you're six foot five, um, uh, but yet you haven't stepped on the field, but you're going to, and you play like a, at a program, you know, well, DeSoto's is probably top five program every year in the country, but something close to that, right? A big school where it is harder to get on the field by going to an event and testing well and, and getting some measurables that could kind of prime the college coach to know, Hey, okay, let me watch this kid's film as soon as he does step foot on the field because we already know, let's say he runs a 4.6 at 40-yard dash. We already know he's athletic enough to play for us, um, but we want to know that he's a good football player as well on the field and pads. So though, it's, like, it's like a matching process, and sometimes one thing's ahead of the other. Uh, ultimately, you know, the goal in the end is to have both of them matching, you know, the ability to be a great athlete, for your size and to have great film um, that shows you're a great football player. Th those are the keys to playing at the highest of the highest levels. Uh, and everybody's doesn't match it. You know, there's some people that are on the field now and got to work on their speed, but they just have to be really good football players. And then others are really athletic, but their football skills haven't caught up yet and they're not yet on the field. And so that's where events can really help. Um, you know, showcase yourself, uh, especially I would say it's great for, you know, once someone becomes truly recognized, um, we kind of we, we say, hey, listen, we'd love to have you at a camp. But if you're already, you know, you already have 20 offers, you know, focus on what you have to do to become a better football player. And if you if you feel going to a camp is going to do that, then absolutely, by all means. Um, but you got to focus on that. It's it's really good for players who are trying to get to that point okay. need a little bit more or younger players in, in my opinion and um and i really feel that when you get to the point where you're accomplished well then maybe you're playing an all-star game your senior year you know when you're done um maybe you do one or two elite events um you know kids now don't even go to like if they got a bunch of offers they may not even go to a college camp in the summer and and compete at it they just might do the drills so they can get better at their own skill set and spend more time with those coaches so they could get to know and figure out which place they want to go to right so it, that part's changed a lot that that wasn't always that way um but i think it does put the athlete a little bit more in control and to know what stage they're at and this is the hardest thing for parents you got to know what stage you're at in the process yeah and, and Knowing what stage you're at and kind of being able to put, you know, like I, I always say this, we all know that Johnny's the best football player on the field. We know that you think that. And, right. and, and sometimes that's true, but sometimes you have to be able to assess where he is and kind of step back from it and say, okay, we need to do these things because, you know, coaches aren't talking to him right now. What do we need to do to get coaches to pay attention to them? So yeah. there's there's a lot to that process, but you want to know where you are because that really helps focus what you do. And, um, you know, if you have a really good high school coach, he can really help guide you with that. Um, some people have that luxury. Some people don't. Uh, but it's but it's important for you to educate yourself on it. And the, and the one thing I always say is that you can't do is just because – you you know somebody or your neighbor had a child that went Division One doesn't mean your child is going to go Division One, and their right. process can be very different. So each person's process is different. Um, you know, I played I played at University of Connecticut, played 
Uh, back then it was FCS. Now it's Division One. And I went there on scholarship. But, you know, my process was very different than, you know, a person that ended up going to Penn State. And understanding what that process is and, and getting the information for your situation, that's really important because you can't just do exactly what the other person did. That, I mean, that right there, you just hit the nail on the head with the hammer, you know, whatever it's in it. But right. um, we, re it's so easy as a parent, like you said, I, I think my son is the best. We all right. think our kids is the best, but at what point do we really, really see where they are? You know, cause you know, like I said, I started putting my son in all the camps and we was going, you know, and everything. I was putting him in everything. But one thing that I needed to understand is, and I didn't know it then, is about his size. You know, right. uh, you know, colleges come and look at your size. They, you know, they have to be measurable. And so, whereas I, I thought my son was going to grow some more, but he didn't. And that's what kind of shunned him from getting the offers that he would have got if had he been six one six two, he stayed mm -hmm. at five eleven, mm -hmm. and then that even goes to the position that he played. You know, because he wasn't that elite size, he needed to find the position that fit his size. And so, at what point, as a parent, we need to evaluate that? Uh, you know, as far as what position their kids should be groomed in playing because of their size versus where they think they want to play. That is a fantastic question. And, and that is the, it, I would say like, it's fortunately and unfortunately the most important thing that you need to know as you approach the process, how fast really is your child and how big is he going to get, okay? And that's a hard thing. I mean, I would say, like, look at both parents, kind of look at most of the relatives, and you kind of have a framework. It doesn't always work that way. Right. My my roommate in college, his father was 5'10", and his mother was 5'4", and he's 6'5". Oh. So, <laughs> you know, like, that makes no sense, right? So – it doesn't always work that way, but you could, you do want to try to find the right position. Obviously the coach can help you with that. And that's sometimes hard for parents. Like if the coach is putting your son in a certain position, um, it might also dictate to you what level you might be. So if let's say you're on the shorter side, you're a lineman and you're five foot nine and you're 235 pounds and you're playing guard and you're very good, but you're not going to go division one as an offensive guard at five, nine, two thirty-five. You're just too short. So, um, but you might be able to play at the division three level. And that's the thing that there, there's so many programs playing football in, in America. And it's one of the amazing things about what football does is like it, I would say it gives every kid an opportunity to possibly go to a better school than they might have normally went to if they were just a regular student, right? So, right. you know, if I was a regular student, I probably would have been going to like, uh, you know, my local four-year college. I was able to go to university because I was a great football player and I was a good student. I wasn't elite, but I was a good student. And, and those kind of things are important. And that put me into a way better place in life to be able to open my own business, to think about things in that way. If I didn't go to a university, I may not have met people that could have helped me down that path. So I think that it's important to assess that and understand where, where you fall into. And you want to, you know, I, I think by the time you become a sophomore, most football players have, have hit puberty and when you get to that point, you can really start to realize, okay, where is my range? And when I send stuff out for my own players, I always say, here's the range that I think my players fall into. Like, I think he's a, a, a Division I player, a FBS player, 
but he's at minimum an FCS player. It depends on what you think about him. And I, I try to give that range, and you want to kind of start to idea uh, understand what range is because that'll help you target what camps you go to in the summer, um, you know what what coaches you reach out to, and unfortunately, and you've probably seen this too at Desoto. So as many kids have gone on to great programs, um, and there's an abundance from from Desoto, you probably can name. Dozens of kids who should have went somewhere but kind of made the mistake in their process and either didn't even maybe didn't even get an opportunity because of it. Um, and I think that's an important part. Like you mentioned, it's the parents' responsibility. Um, you know, depending on the high school you're at, like I have a lot of knowledge in, in, in this area, so I'm able to, to guide my high school kids and help them a lot more than maybe a coach, high school coach who doesn't have that knowledge in, in the area. And what, what um, parents need to understand is just because your high school coach, your high school coach could be a fantastic football coach, but may not be great on the recruiting side. So that's really important for, so you might win a lot of ball games, but if that's not his forte, then you may not have as many players recruited and you won't, you won't understand why that's why you have to take, that responsibility on yourself and work with the coach in partnership. And trust me when I say that, like, and I tell this to my players all the time, the more proactive you are, the better I can do my job. So I'm really proactive with schools for my players, but, um, and obviously on the NUC side, this is what I do. So, but the more proactive they are, I found that the more proactive they are, they've always been in way better position than if it was just me pushing from my side. Mm -hmm. And it's time and time again that the players who work as hard on their own process as I'm working to help them, they always land in the, in the, the best spot for them. And that's the key, the best spot for you, right? You want to go to a school, especially now college coaches. I mean, they, they change jobs like they change clothes, right? Right, so, right. So it's um, it's important to choose a place that you really think you want to be at. So um, and it it's changed radically since I started, but the players are more in control now than they ever have been. The with the portal and all those kind of things, you really have a lot more control as to if you make a mistake to be able to change that mistake. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, I think a real important thing is that to understand that you do have control. So take the time to figure out the right place for you. Right. Now we had, um, uh, a guy named Rick Allen on the show and he was a previous, uh, NCAA, uh, employee. And so he does a, uh, newsletter called informed athlete. And he educated us on the possibility of seniors getting another year of eligibility, which is going to push back on the possible seniors that are coming out of high school because of what's going on. So how do you think the high school athletes should deal with that? I mean, because that's going to cause a bottleneck. That's going to cause a pushback. Yep. You know, what's your thoughts and how you think the high school athletes or the the high school coaches should deal with that. I, you know, it's something that you're not able to control. So you, what basically what ends up happening is you may have less scholarships available at each level. Right. So that does, that creates that bottleneck. Um, and you have two bottlenecks now. So you have the bottleneck for this year, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen again and again, but if it does, we're, we have, Problems that have nothing to do with sports, right? So, um, uh, but it creates two bottlenecks, at least for this year. The second bottleneck being that the portal, the transfer portal, creates a situation where college coaches can grab a player from the portal that's already been playing and bring them in. So they're now saving two or three, sometimes five scholarships for guys in the portal. So for high school athletes, there is a little bit of a squeeze. I mean, I've seen it as a high school coach. 
um, where they're slower to move on players than they used to be. They used to be much quicker on on jumping on players, and this is really the last few years since the portal, a couple of years since the portals happened, um, because they can grab a player. And and so, yeah, I, I think the key is to go through your process, but don't be married to where you think you belong. Find Again, find the right place because some of those players that – in the old days, stayed at the school and kind of rode the bench and then one day climbed up, hopefully. Or if they didn't, they just were, you know, a backup. Um, those guys are transferring out and they're leaving. And they're going to a place where they can play. And that takes right. away from, uh, at that school, maybe two or three or maybe five players um, that would have been recruited at high school. That's one of the things that, the NCAA is trying to figure out how do you, how do we handle this because uh, we don't want to limit opportunity, but that's one of the unintended consequences of the portal. So once you get into a school, like you choose a school, the players have a lot more control over their future, meaning they're not locked into a place if a coach leaves, that kind of stuff. But getting to that point is a little bit harder now because of the portal. So, um, so that, that is, and, and only over time, are we going to really see, uh, you know, how that evolves? They'll probably change certain things there. Um, but it, but that is, that is what they have to recognize that, um, there might be a few less scholarships at each, at each level. Yeah. You, uh, you know how they have a red shirt shirt and you had, they have a gray shirt. Maybe they're going to come up with another color for COVID, you know, whatever's going on this year <laughs> for the kids who are going to, you know, you know, to identify that group of kids right. for this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, and, and they do have, you know, they've gotten creative with scholarships. I can't remember if it's green. I think it's green shirting where they can. It's either green or blue shirting. And and by the way, there's so many of the, when I played, there was red shirt. That was it. Wow. I, you know, I think there's like white, green, blue, uh, gray, and yeah. red now. But um, I think it's so, so if I make a mistake on it, the get the point of the message is that they are now having a situation where they are um, taking an athlete into the school. And what they're doing is that their scholarship does not become activated until they step foot on campus, which allows them to not use one of the scholarships. So that scholarship then applies for next year. So it, I think they call that um, uh, green shirting. So that's that's an unusual thing as well. So that's some of the things that they've used. So it's, it's important for the athletes to go and get familiar with that. I think you got a question there. Yeah, Miss Shannon says with less scholarship, how would that affect college and enrollment? With the uh, with the colleges and their enrollment, with, with less scholarships, how would this affect the colleges and their enrollment? Um, well, they still have the same scholarships uh, uh, available, um, but as far as you know, their enrollment and and um, as far as well, it depends on the levels. Division one. Uh, FCS, they have set number of scholarships. So it's 85 and 65. And so those are the same number of scholarships no matter what. It's just how they utilize, how they apply them. And they're creative with applying one some to the next year so they can bring in more people now. Um, but at the lower levels, that's a, a very good question. If there's less money available, how – at the Division Three and Division Two level, where most people are, are paying uh, to go there, um, if there's less scholarships, that's significantly going to affect the enrollment. And and in a lot of the smaller colleges, uh, the number of players on a football team, especially Division Three, actually boosts those colleges' enrollment and brings them revenue. So they're trying to, let's say, a school costs fifty thousand a year. They're trying to scholarship them in academic money, twenty to thirty thousand dollars, so they can get one hundred and fifty football players um, to come to their school because that boosts their own enrollment and the programs that could, they could have for other students. I mean, 
I mean, what you just, I mean, my, my head just blew with that because, <laughs> you know, with the colleges being shut down, they're losing money. And, right. you know, what they would normally be making money from is their basketball teams and, you know, and that's going to trickle down in even being able to offer as many scholarships, which is going to affect the, the enrollment. I mean, it's just going to it's just going to keep trickling down for this year, especially you're going to have. You, I mean, there's already a few you know, smaller schools that have shut down, right? Because they can't afford it. Um, it's a great question. And this is probably a question we could spend the whole show on probably. Uh, and it, it's one of those things where, and I'll use this example. So there's a conference called the Northeast Conference. It's primarily an area where I live. It's FCS. They they're allowed to have 65 scholarships, but I think they are building it up and I think they might use 45 or maybe they have the full allotment now. But those schools don't have as big an endowment as, say, like Texas. And they have to go in. Um, they have to go and They may not be able to afford some of those division, those scholarships for the players. I missed that question there. What he? Oh, he was just uh, making a comment. That group of kids is, is defined by a gray shirt. Oh, gray shirt. There you go. OK, yep. Yeah. Well, the gray, uh, the gray shirts, no, the green shirt is when they can enroll in the fall. The gray shirt is when they have to wait till the spring that to the enroll or the ones who come in early um, beforehand and their scholarship doesn't apply to the fall. So the green is they actually make them walk on and then they give them a scholarship when they show up. So they're not a recruited scholarship. So, but the gray shirt is when they they delay that scholarship to the following semester, um, or they bring them the like you'll see this with freshmen that enroll early, they won't actually um, start them till the uh, to the uh, uh, the fall, and their their scholarship won't count until the fall. So, there's slightly different things with green and gray, but it's the same concept. It's 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 delaying the, where the scholarship count is. Um, to the next sem the next semester or the next season. What, but, you know, what that would cause is for, you know, a lot of parents depend on the scholarship in order to get their kids, especially in these D1 schools. Right. So that's going to cause the parents to have to get loans. 100% problem, yes. Into the school until they can get a scholarship. So Absolutely. It's, it's just... Uh, so that that part, that's how, especially at the highest level, that's how they become they've become creative with some of these things. And you know, there's two schools of it. Like the schools like it because they can get creative, but for the families, it's definitely much more difficult. Um, it's it's not a bird in the hand. You 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 know, until you step foot, you don't know that you're going to get that money. And you and they can. One of the things about scholarships, they can pull them at any time. They can decide they're not going to give it to you. So that's tough. College. What do we got here? College. By waving a test that will help students and athletes become, because college will look at the students from a holistic review, which will help their student athlete. I think she's just making a statement. Yes, could be. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, I think college as a whole. It, 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 you know, you can see right now, obviously, most of the students are going online and how, how they're going to create that kind of a thing. I mean, there's there's going to be some trickle-down effects that are going to be difficult. How it's going to affect athletics is yet to be known, but there's definitely going to be an effect. So you might, you know, when we talk about, um, uh, you know, so waiting test scores is an interesting thing that has become a, a, a big thing with some of the schools for athletes. So when they have test optional, um, and your grades become more important, there's probably pros and cons to that. Um, the pro is that if an athlete's a really good student, but um, maybe they grew up in an environment that they didn't start to learn to later, or maybe they had some disadvantaged situations, but they're a really good student, they don't have to worry about uh, what their test is. The negative side is if you have a kid who's very smart, but was lazy, he's not going to be able to 
get a high test score and then make up for it to be because that that balance of uh, of scale. Now, co- from a sports standpoint, some of these questions are outside of sports, but from a sports standpoint, the college coaches in football in particular, every day, all day, they'd rather have the student that they know is the better student and less test scores um, because they know that person is going to work hard. If they got good grades, more than likely they're going to be hard workers. Um but that that's that's a balancing thing. So. So what happened when all the spring athletes that missed their season due to the COVID the virus? So uh, the spring the spring sport athletes. If this is who right now it's in particular to. Um, hopefully, it doesn't extend beyond that. Right. So I know we'll miss football. I know I will. <laughs> <laughs> All your camps is this summer. So uh, I know what we exactly. Um, so, so what would happen for them? So those athletes are actually getting that year back, right? If, if they want it, um, and if they're on scholarship, obviously they're getting that paid for. Now, if you're at a lower level, Division Two or Division Three, you really kind of have a decision on your hands. So let's say you ran track or play baseball or softball or, um, you know, any tennis, whatever sports are going on in the spring, you kind of have a, if you're paying for school, you know, even if you're at a, a division one level uh, and you're paying for school, you really have to think about like, you know, is it worth me coming back another year? Cause you're going to be paying for it. And, and uh, I, I think that's the tough and disappointing part of this whole thing, which, Obviously, none of us have control over kind of how this this part is, um, but you know they are going to have the option to come back. So that that is definitely there, and uh, it's it's a really really I think a good thing. NCA right away said that those those spring athletes can come back, um, they can get another year, and, and they're going to have the opportunity to do that again next year. Now, tell me about I know when my, my son came to your combine, there was different levels. Like mm. if you go and you play at one level, you get invited to another one and to another one. Is that the way you're still running it? Um, yes. There was more levels back then, but now there's basically um, um, there's specialized position, which we didn't have back then. We had specialized position camps, which they can get invited to like quarterback or receiver. Um, and then we have our regular camps and showcases. And then the summer we have what, top prospect camp which we used to run and yeah that was a great one we we used to run in oklahoma we now run it in georgia um in atlanta and uh uh that's like kind of the second level um and then we have an all-star game which it, it pretty much if you get invited to top prospect camp uh you have the ability to go to all star game um but we have limited spots in the all star game whereas a top prospect camp um, you know, we designate spots, but we really can add people if we need to all the, the all American games, you know, we only have a certain number of spots so everybody can get, you know, enough playing time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really kind of two levels now and then positional based camps. Okay. So how is, uh, what's, is what's going on affecting you, even though your camps are this summer, what are you going to, how are you handling this? What are you going to do? Yeah, so we have a ton of camps in the spring and the early winter and throughout the spring. So right now, none of those camps are being run. Um, right now, basically the way it looks is we may, may not be able to run any camps until June time frame in most of the country. Uh, where I live in, in New Jersey, which is one of the hardest hit areas, um, may not be till July. So uh, and, and we're hoping for that. You know what I mean? We're hoping. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're really hard hit, uh, from a, from a business standpoint. I mean, we went from running, we would be running five or six camps in a weekend right now to running zero. Um, and, uh, it, that's just kind of the, the, the reality of what it is. The one thing that we will do, and we're exploring this right now, even when we come back to running camps, we may uh, take an approach where we're going to have small number of kids get evaluated at a time um, because until there, you know, until there's a vaccine for this or something that we know it can't, 
we're we're going to work on something that we don't have large groups coming in at one time to one place. Um, so our, our camps, even if we run them this summer, most of those camps will probably be, and we're working on this right now, some form of waves of groups. So you might have 20 kids come at 9 a.m., another 20 at 10 a.m., you know, and instead of kind of spreading it all out, working them out for that time frame, um, and then bringing them back again the next day for that time frame uh, and, and spreading it out so 200 kids can go over 8 to 10 hours and get all the things that they need, get evaluated. Um, but we're looking at that right now, and obviously what, what happens with, you know, what comes down from the government with the guidelines as to what we can and can't do, um, you know, we're obviously going to follow that to make sure everybody's safe. Okay, so tell everybody how they can get in touch uh, with you and with your camps and sign up. Yeah, it, it, uh, most of the, the athletes and parents reach out to me on Twitter, um, at Coach Schumann, and that's uh, just my last name, like it's showing up here, uh, and Coach in front of it, and then uh, NUCSports.com. Um, and what's really cool about the NUCSports.com site, it used to be just – Register and, and come to the camps. Now we have endless amounts of content on there. So from drills um, to to articles to videos, um, all of it free to be able to, to help athletes, you know, find their way through this process. You can really search and type in and find a ton of content uh, that's available to you. Obviously, if you want if you want to come to a camp or any of the you know, recruiting programs we have, we'd love, you know, We'd love to be able to help you in any way we can. So, Awesome, awesome. So thank you so much. I think we have one more comment. Sure. Uh, Shannon, she says, how many athletes do you think will be lost in all of this? As far as, you know, not that question um, is coming from, you know, kids not being able to work out or they're, they're on that regimen of routine. And so now since they're locked in, they got – they're getting kind of laxy daisy and those who don't have stuff to work out where they're getting out of shape and the desires of playing the sport, you know, do you, do you think that we will lose a lot of athletes doing everything that's going on? Yeah. I, it's upsetting to me that, you know, there are kids that have resources to be able to work out still, you know, meaning, you have a nice big yard, you can go work out. You know, you have happen to have a little weight room in your house, you can go work out. And then there are kids who only can do manual stuff. I think what's been really good is coaches like myself and all over, I see it all over Twitter. And there's a ton of coaches that have put out a lot of free information for what you could do if you don't have weights and what you could do um, if you do have weights, what, what, what you could do if you can get to a park, what if you can't get to a park or, or a field? Um, I think athletes are going to have to be more proactive. And I do think that there will become a lot, there is a lot more personal responsibility here for the athletes, which is tough for some really young kids because a lot of young kids are learning that, um, there are, you know, I would say, look, Every, every program you go to, you have, no matter where it is in the country, you're going to have your kids that you don't have to tell them nothing and they're going to do everything right. right. But, you know, most kids need coaches and teachers uh, and, and, and parents to be able to help guide them. Yeah. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think as a community, uh, everybody has to be able to do their part to try and help them. And, um, you know, whether, and, and that's just not work, not just working out. Like with my kids, we, we do, um, we've been doing zoom call uh, not with zoom, uh, Google meet calls every Monday and Wednesday. And it goes twofold. I go through plays and stuff like that with them, but it also gives me an opportunity to check in and know which kids are there and which kids aren't. And so we have like 80, 90 kids in the program, but we'll have like 40 kids on the call. So I'm like, well, where are these kids, right. right? What are they doing? Maybe they don't have internet access, which some that happens. Um, and and so our whole thing is like beyond sports, do the kids have food, right? Yeah. So we, you know, we make our, our captains and myself, 
and this is one of the big things I say, if you're, you know, one of my captains and, and any coach that listens to this can really use this. Um, a, a, any any uh, captain you have, I tell them, if you know of someone that's struggling with something, because sometimes kids won't tell you. Like, they'll just, right. you know, soldier on through, and they don't have enough to eat, but they're not going to say anything because they don't want to. Right, nobody look. to know. Yeah, they're young. They don't understand that. They don't want anybody to know. So I would say my captains, if 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 you know somebody struggling, that's exactly right. We check on them. My captains in every single one of our calls, we always at the end we go, "Hey, and, and what, my captain is most proactive is this guy Brian Davitsky, very very proactive kid. Um, he puts his phone number in there and he said, if there's anything, if you don't feel comfortable calling, talking to coach about it, you text me." And then I'll engage coach um, if we we really think it's something that's really important that he needs to be engaged. But trying to find those guys in your team and your assistant coaches as well that could be proactively involved um, with helping everybody in the community. And and that's that's an important thing because it doesn't matter what team you're on. There's somebody that's struggling, and yeah. you may you a lot of times you won't know it because they won't say something. Um, but I try to make sure, and this is everyone can do this, make sure that they have multiple points that they can touch to get help. So, yeah. you know, if you only say, hey, if you need help, you know, contact me, only, you know, contact me and just make it. Well, their kids aren't comfortable going to the head coach. Right. You know, your freshmen, they may not even know your head coach, right? right. So you, you, you have multiple contact points. And you have the players make sure they check on them. They check on everybody else and make sure if there's something that we need to do or we need to get them help with, we do it uh, uh, immediately. Um, and you know, and we say don't there's don't be shy about it. You know, talk to your friends. And even if you just tell your buddy, and if you tell your buddy, then it's his responsibility to try and reach out to a captain. Or do the coach and say, "Hey, you know, so and so has some issues here. Um, you know, what can we do?" And right. it, you know, most fo- this is what I love about football. Most football communities, whether you're winning championships or you're not, most football communities really rally around the students and the players, and they try to help them as much as they can. It's it's one of the reasons why I've always loved the game. It's like a family environment. You have so many people in your program, um, and so huge family but it's important to check on uh, on those kind of kids and, and definitely check on um uh the kids that you know you know won't say anything yeah. and it's important to check on those kids because um they won't say anything and like i said they'll soldier on through and they'll be struggling and maybe we could have helped them with something right now let me ask you this since you told me you were a coach do you have a problem with parent involvement as far as your booster club? Well, I welcome it. Okay. So now I know coaches are all over the map on this. <laughs> the way I, the way I look at it is, um, and it, it, it could serve good and bad because I've dealt with both good and bad on it. Um, I look at it as the more uh, parents are involved in the program in a positive way, that's only going to help the program as a whole push forward. Um, that's an important thing. Now, what you have to do is establish boundaries as a coach. That's important. Um, if you establish boundaries that everybody understands, it's communication. Everybody understands that, hey, this is okay and this is not okay. Right. And if we recognize something that's not okay, I'm going to point this out to you. Um because we've established this communication of here's what the what the boundaries are. And one of the things I always say is like we we need the booster club. We need to raise money. Like we need <laughs> right. you know, and you probably experience this as well. Like you guys travel all over the country to play. And right. um you know, we travel as well. Like we play our first game at Rutgers this year. Um and if, if everything, you know, goes according to plan, we'll be okay there. But we got to travel and all that kind of stuff. And your budget, yeah. Your budget and the parents are a huge part of that. The businesses in the community yeah. uh, are a huge help in that. And I think the the booster club with the parents are critical to that. Um, but the big thing is communication. So I always say, you know, 
you can talk to me about whatever you want. Um, but if you go and say, why is this kid playing versus that kid? That's not going to be a good discussion. What I'm going to discuss with you is here's what I think your child can do better right. to give him a chance. Right. But the, what I may see and what you may see may be totally different. And, and if I'm coaching the team and I'm in charge of the team um, and my assistant coaches, we gather their input and we decide to put players on the field that we think will do the best job. Um, and look, I, there's there's been times where uh, we started out with certain players on the field that we thought were better and we were wrong and we changed it. And, um, and you know, and sometimes I've had parents – and, and you've probably seen – I've had parents <laughs> cuss at me after the game. Thought, you know, I lost a playoff game. I've had them cuss at me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that – when I was a young coach, I was a head coach really young in my career. I was 30 years old, 31 years old. I was the first time I was a head coach really young. And I thought I knew everything I was doing, but, I, I you know, I look back and I probably didn't know anything. And um, uh, <laughs> one of the things I learned is – to not take it personal when a parent is upset. Um, now, if someone physically attacks me, you know, <laughs> we, we can't have that. Your car. Right, right, right. Don't slash my tires. Right, that, that I'm gonna take personal. But you know, if you're upset after game, one of the things I try to tell parents all the time is I call the 24 hour rule. Mm. Game ends, win, lose, or draw. Um, the best thing you could do is hug your son, uh, go on home. Uh, if you want to talk about the game at home, go, you know, go do that. Go get something to eat. Right. Um, take a breath. Right. And then if there's something that's really that important in the morning, then you go and talk to coach about it. Um, and one of the reasons why I say that is, and, and it happens every, I've, since I've been coaching, this will be my 19th year coming up. Um, every year, Somebody gets mad after a loss, and it's not like we lose a ton of games, but we get we lose a game. Someone gets mad after a loss, and and says something they shouldn't say, right. um, and they end up regretting it because most of the time it's a kid that I love. Right. You, you know, it's very rarely a, a, a if your kid's playing already for me, I, I probably like them. Right, and. Uh, um, you know, but you're just upset that maybe, you know, I didn't get him the ball right. or maybe I yelled at him or something. And um, if you, you know, just take that, those 24 hours and wait, you'll realize, okay, that was kind of all in the heat of the game. And, and um, you know, I, you, your child, I love him. I'm playing him. You know, I, uh, he, he's one of my favorites, obviously. So, so uh, you know, you take a deep breath on it. And that's why I try not to take it personal. Um, and, and just try to move on. I always, one of the things parents should be aware of, and any good coach should do this when you do have an issue after the best thing you could always do is, is make your athletic director aware of it because it's important that, um, uh, if something does need to get addressed right away or somebody's safety threatened, um, that's important on either side, right? Uh, that's important. Um, but also if, if, Sometimes an athletic director, especially if you got a good one, can can reach out to the parent and say, you know, the next day before you go and talk to the coach and say, hey, is everything okay? Right. You know, what, what are you upset about? Because the athletic director really wants the program as a whole to succeed. He's not worried about that individual game as much as the parent and the kid and and just say, you know, um, everything okay. Um, yeah, you know, I was just upset. He made a really bad call there and, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of lost my head and, you know, say, Hey, you know, give coach a call, tell him it's no big deal. Or, or do you want me to have coach give you a call and say, it's no big deal. Right. Um, and I think that's important. Uh, and, and it really, again, it's, it comes down to communication, right? The, the better the communication is be between everyone, uh, the better off the program is going to be as a whole. That's good. I think um, it's about uh, everybody knowing their role, and everybody staying. Once you know your role, you stay in your role. You stay in your in your in your place. Uh, but this is a good. That right there is a whole nother show. 
is to bring on a coach and talk about playing time and should the parent come to the coach and ask about their son playing time or should the athlete come to I mean, we we as parents, we have all of these different questions. So we're going to invite you back on as a coach and come and talk to you as Love a coach it. because we need to educate our parents as far as what what our roles are. Because some of them are single moms. They don't didn't know anything about sports and their son and all of a sudden is, is in, the, in the game and they're learning as they go and they don't really understand their role as a parent. So we have to get this information out. We have to educate them on what their role is. And as parents, we need to be team parents, just like we want our kids to be on the team and be a part of the team. We as parents have to come together and be a, a team of parents to support the coach, which is going to support the the team, which is going to support the school, which is going to support the community, which, you know, it's just a whole collective body, you know, and how everybody is important if they understand their role. And so um, this has been a great show and I look forward to bringing you back on and us digging in here and talking some more about this. Um, probably maybe after we come out of quarantine and you do actually have a date for your camp, bringing you back on and so you can invite our guests on um, to your camp, your kids to the camps and, and uh, stuff like that. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to. Anytime you let me know and I'll, I'll be glad to come on. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. I could talk all day about this. <laughs> all right. Well, you guys, this is Karen from Can We Talk Sports, trying to bring you as much information as possible that you can chew on during this time of quarantine. So once we get out, once we're released, you'll know what to do. So thank you guys for joining us. Good night. Good night. <laughs>